don't forget the tickets are still available for the podcast advertising summit which is going to be this thursday at the barbican the 25th of january so if you haven't got your tickets make sure you get them you can find all information in the podcast description Hello, welcome to Pod Pod. I'm your host, Rihanna Dillon, and I'm joined as ever by Adam Shepard and Reem Makari. Hello, guys. Hello. And um, before we get onto the news this week, I just want to give you a heads up about our guest because he's a really good one. It's John Kennedy. He's a Radio X presenter. Um, he started actually when it was XFM, a pirate radio station, uh, but he's been there an incredibly long time. I think he said 25 years this year. He has a radio show called Exposure. And he's also got another one called Exposure Daily, which we're going to come to in a little bit. But the reason that we wanted to talk to him was because of his podcast, Tape Notes, where each episode he does a deep dive with a band or an artist into their work. And throughout that, they play out clips of the music. And when I say the nitty gritty, this really does get into the nitty gritty of exactly how each track is made and why. Um, so something really special to look forward to, especially because we're going to be asking him all about his interviewing techniques. So if that's something that you're into, hopefully you'll find this really useful. Yes, Tape Notes is also a highly popular podcast within the podcast industry itself. Uh, in our weekly Earworms recommendation feature in 2023, it was the most recommended podcast. I told you it was good. So what is going on in the world of podcasts this week? I sort of feel like I might know what it's going to be. Um, so the BBC's companion podcast, The Traitors Uncloaked, broke a new record last week with 1.24 million views on the TV broadcast alone. Um, and it's a visual podcast where Ed Gamble speaks to other celebrity guests that are fans of the show as well as cast members um, that have left the show um, and it gives a bit of a behind the scenes look to the main show as well as unseen footage that people can can see exclusively on the companion podcast so it's more than double the average views for its BBC2 slot and it also follows on from the main episode which got over 4.4 million views I believe. So this is such an interesting one because I am a huge Traitors fan and I went immediately to Traitors Uncloaked as soon as I, don't, I can't, I won't do spoilers, but basically <laughs> a very big name um, got banished on Thursday, which is when I think the, the night that you're talking about. Mm. Um, and of course, everyone wanted to know exactly their perspective. Um, and it was so great that it was just there at our fingertips immediately that you didn't have to wait. You could just go straight there. But when you say that this is kind of breaking records, it's still on BBC Two. This isn't like a little podcast that has just you know been thrown up and oh wow you know it's an unheard of platform it's bbc2 mm. it's still a prime time terrestrial tv slot so how does this count as record breaking it's really highlighting the sort of podcast format if you like it's mm -hmm. billed as a visual podcast which you know can get a a little bit sort of confused in terms of the positioning uh friend of the show matt deegan has pointed out on twitter before that the kind of way they're positioning it has been a bit woolly at times but it is basically filling the role of something like big brother's little brother or mm -hmm. uh, love island the morning after i believe is the companion what you're not an avid uh, <laughs> listener watcher i don't even know what, i don't yeah, even know what I, format that is i can i confess i'm not and it's quite interesting particularly in 
relation to Love Island because Listen, which is the production company behind The Traitors Uncloaked, also produces the tie-in podcast for Love Island. And Love Island has a separate companion TV show and companion podcast, whereas for The Traitors, they basically just smushed them together into one and are running it across all channels. And I wonder if that's going to be the model for this kind of post-broadcast companion show going forward, because it, it seems like a model that has been quite effective. They haven't released the figures for BBC iPlayer or BBC Sounds, but I would be extremely interested to see how they compare. Thank you so much, both. Traitors Uncloaked. A lot of fun. Really enjoy that. Um, it's now time for us to talk to John Kennedy all about tape notes. So Tape Notes has been going for a few years. Um, it's made by In The Woods. It's a name taken from a festival. So um, I make Tape Notes with Tim and Will. They started the podcast. They had the idea for the podcast. And I knew them already because they had invited me to be the compare for a festival that they ran on the borders of Sussex and Kent um, for a number of years. Um, and the festival was called In The Woods. And it was called In The Woods because it was within a kind of quarry within a wood um, and so it had a natural kind of amphitheatre shape. They had started to do a thing called the barn sessions. So the um, site was beside uh, a farm and there was a barn that they set up and recorded bands in. So anybody who played mm -hmm. the festival also did a session in the barn. And they had started right. to film and record these and then they turned that into a podcast. And they got some funding, I think, from the Arts Council to develop this podcast. And after looking at various different ways, one of the things that interested them was the art of production and how bands are recorded and what that relationship between artist and producer is like and so they thought you know what we should do a podcast about that that would be a really good idea and who could we possibly ask to be involved in that <laughs> i know what about john because we know john and, and he's on the radio and he talks to people about their stuff so he might he might be a good idea so we had a trial and it all worked out and and it's been going since then over the course of those you know 100 plus episodes you've spoken to some legendary figures how do you go about bagging such great guests was it a little bit of a struggle to get the big names in at the start yes and no in that it's a lot of perseverance mm. um and uh, also there are some connections and so early on those connections were brought to play and that worked in our favor um, and then it's a case of trying to build a profile and trying to persuade people to do it. Um, I have a, a long background in radio, mm. um, and so I think it helped that I was attached to it. And then once we had a few episodes out, if an artist heard it or a label heard it or a manager heard it, then they, they could quickly understand it's quite a serious work mm. and we go in depth and go to a lot of effort to make it as good as possible. So I think once people, it, we always feel that if you hear the podcast and if you're interested in that kind of thing, then you're going to be interested in being part of it. Mm. But the problem is trying to get people to hear it. And obviously, um, the more you do, the more likely people are to hear it. And now we're in a position where a lot of people who come on the podcast have heard the podcast already and are interested in being part of it. Because often, especially for musicians and artists, they don't get to go so deep into how they actually create and how they actually record. Because a, a lot of interviews are, are a bit surface 
and and we go below the surface really on tape notes. Are you expecting a listener to come from a similar place of knowledge? A little bit. I mean, I think you've got to cater to, to everybody because often, say, particularly with tape notes, you will have people now who like listening to the podcast because they feel that they'll learn something. They might not be a fan of that artist that we got on that particular episode, but they'll they'll be interested because they know that with tape notes we're approaching um, it from a particular perspective and they, they might learn something. And so a bit of both. You want uh, mm. people who are fans of the artist, you want to connect with people who are just interested in the whole process. Um, and I think that you can't assume anything, um, but you can also assume that um, you can be trusted and that they can trust that you've got some kind of knowledge You'll, you've got some knowledge of what they're all about and that the listener has some knowledge because you wouldn't be listening unless you had either knowledge of the artist or, or knowledge that you're going to pick up some really handy, helpful tips on how you can create a, a work of art. You know, you speak to a lot of uh, artists who are presumably fairly comfortable with doing press and doing interviews, but you also quite often are speaking to producers and you know we've spoken to a lot of podcast producers who are... I think it's fair to say more comfortable behind the mic than in front of it. Do you find that that's the same with tape notes? Do you find you're having to coax the producers out of their shell a bit more in terms of getting them comfortable with the the interview process? That can definitely be the case. Um, I often think that a lot of producers prefer to be in the background. That's one of the reasons why they do what they do. But... Sometimes they can be lured out of that uh, by giving them the opportunity to explain what they do because they're fascinated and obsessed with what they do. Mm. And so if you manage to tap into that and tap into that interest and enthusiasm, then that's great because it can be really, really interesting. And so sometimes you do have to kind of coax that out. And it's interesting because a few people have said, oh, no, I don't, don't really do interviews, um, <laughs> but I'm pleased I've done this one. So, you know, hopefully um, it, it works and and people come out of it um, thinking right uh, actually maybe I should do more of these because mm. because they, they sometimes it's interesting when you start that conversation between an artist and a producer they, they while they will have been communicating a lot about what they're doing they they learn a bit about each other as well from mm. from the interview so that's that can be really useful you said one of the things that um, really helps an interview tick along really nicely is when they're very aware that you know what you're talking about. That feels like a really important kind of place of safety, you know, kind of starting point. But if they are, as Adam's talking about, you know, not used to speaking, they might just need a bit of warming up anyway. Do you have any tips of how you would get somebody to relax, to open up? What sort of environment do you like to create at the beginning of an interview? We record in various different places. Sometimes we record in the studio that uh, the artist and the producer have worked in. Sometimes it is the producer's own space. Um, but we also record in a lot of other studios as well. Um, and clearly, if you're in their space, they already feel at home. So that's an advantage. The, one of the big things with tape notes is that you have to prepare quite a bit to take part on the podcast because you've got to bring your recordings to us. We want you to share yes. the stems of each individual recording um, and so you've got to pre have prepared quite a lot. And it can be a big ask and it can be a bit of a hurdle. You know, we've got to try and convince them to, to do that for us because um, that's when we will get the best result. Um, and so because of that preparation, often they're kind of already getting into the, the mindset of it. So, so 
we have some advantages in that they're already in the zone often when we're talking to them. Um, but I do, to win trust, I mean, you try and, you know, make them realise in a subtle way um, that you're aware of what they've done. Um, and you're, you know, while at the same time you've got to think about the listener and you've got to ask open-ended questions whereby you don't preface it with too much knowledge. You want them to come out with the answer. Mm. Um, but at the same time, they've got to realise, oh, yeah, he understands. He knows that I've worked with who, this person and that person. He, he has a little bit of a, you know, a knowledge of that. So somehow you try and tell people um, in different ways. I mean, it's interesting because it's something that I think about for the radio as well and you're interviewing people mm. and it, it, it's funny because you think about all the subtle ways of getting people on board and sometimes that could be how you dress for that occasion. Um, that could be, I don't know, you, you want to say have a, a conversation before you start recording so that you can um, mm. have a chit-chat and maybe establish a few points of connection either mutual acquaintances or um, have you heard this, have you heard that? You start a conversation about music and then hopefully quickly they'll be aware, ah, yeah, you know, he's somebody who's who's into this world and, and, you know, he knows what he's talking about. So, you know, there there are little subtle ways of, of trying to do that, you know, unconsciously or consciously. But I kind of feel that in some ways I'm as... um, immersed in their world as they are and so hopefully it quickly mm-hmm. becomes apparent that that is the case and that they they get what i'm talking about and vice versa you know he's going to get what we're on about he's going to understand why we do what we do you know how do you find that podcasting compares to doing interviews for radio the result is is the difference um the approach for me is is similar but um, radio is very tied to time limits. Mm. And, you know, most radio interviews are within a particular show and they're within a particular format. And often you have to edit things down to fit that. And we do a lot of editing on tape notes, but we also have quite an open-ended duration to each podcast. I so, was going to so, say, how long do your recordings tend to Because it <laughs> listening to it, it sounds like the kind of recording that could easily you know, have been three hours originally. Yes, it's true. And that's why I let out a, a <laughs> bit of air and sigh because some of the recordings are really long. And that's not necessarily a problem for me. Mm. Um, it can be for our interviewees and it's a nightmare for the editors yes. um, because it drives them around the bend. And so the, the balance is always trying to kind of keep the podcasters as short, the record time as short as possible, but at the same time allow enough material to be recorded that you can go into those ridiculous details mm. that we really do, you know, and and that is a difficult balance. Um, and, and I'm <laughs> uh, very much a kind of more is less <laughs> person in that, you know, keep recording because you just, I always think, you know, so people need warming up often. Yes. And often it's the second hour of the interview where they, they really start to, to go into the detail. And, you know, it, you've got to get to that point for that to happen. Having said that, you can go too far and, and go the other way and, and exhaust people. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, tricky, but there are they are long records. It's true. 
how much control do you have over what eventually gets put out? Because when you're, you know, through, going through an interview, you might go, oh, that was great. That was a great bit. And sort of be sort of editing as you go. But actually, if you're not the editor, do you communicate? Are you able to remember all of that and communicate that? Or do you really just leave it Often up Often I to just them? leave it up to them. One of the great things, one of the, the things that excited me about doing tape notes is that I was working with other people. So I've, I've been working in radio and I actually am the producer of the show I've been doing for all this time. Oh, really? And I ed- and I edit all the interviews. And so the idea of not editing and not having to go through that process was really exciting and something that I've really enjoyed. So I can, I don't mind if we go for three and a half hours because, hey, I'm not the one who's going to listen to it. And, and you no, know, Tim and Will, who I work with, they unfortunately have to put up with all that. And it's, it's quite funny because, because of that freedom, I may be pushed it too far I mean, they, they would probably say I have but so in that sense it's been it's been great for for me but that you know Will is the producer he'll be making notes as we do an interview often yeah. we'll have a discussion after an interview and say you know what worked what didn't work um, and what bits we thought were most interesting. Sometimes it's when you're ad- doing the edit that you find what is most interesting. Yes. Uh, often people repeat themselves. We all do it mm-hmm. um, and go over the same point quite a few times. So, you know, if, if you've got the time to edit it properly, you can get to the, to the explanation that is, is the best explanation of those explanations that you heard. There's another element to it because we allow our interviewees to have a listen as well. Um, okay. We, because um, especially sometimes they're sharing music or musical elements that they might not want to share mm-hmm. necessarily yeah. after. They might have a second thought. They might think, oh, wow, I played that sample and I don't know whether we've actually cleared that sample. So maybe we shouldn't include that in the podcast. So there's elements like that that How we have to make happen? sure. Not that often, but okay. it does happen because, right. because it will often in the whole process of recording, you might start writing. Um, a song around a sample that you've just kind of created really quickly mm. um, and then you might realise ah, I don't know who, where that sample actually came from or I can't mm-hmm. clear that sample so then you might want to recreate that sample yourself you know, and, and rewrite it in effect so that you don't have that publishing obstacle um, you know, to, to, to get the music out there. So there, there are those kind of things that come into it, um, sometimes with the interviews that we've done. So, we, I mean, we feel it's um, only fair that we, that we give people the opportunity to... Mm-hmm. So that they'll hear a kind of an edit, pretty much near the final edit, just to make sure that they're happy with that. You're not trying to undermine people. It's, it, you're, you're, you're trying to support people and, and, and share their working process with the world and, and with their fans. You, you know, you're not trying to stitch them up. It's yeah. not that, that yeah, kind it's of not a gotcha thing. situation. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Using music clips in general in podcasting is an area where I feel like there's a lot of uncertainty. How do you guys approach it as a music podcast? Because obviously you're using not just the the demos and rough cuts that your guests supply, but also in a lot of cases, you know, bits of the the finished tracks. Our approach is that the guidelines that are there are that music can be used for purposes of critique and review. And so we see what we do as very much within that description. We're almost critiquing and reviewing as we go along with the artist and with the producer themselves. In terms of permissions, so those permissions are granted by the artist and producer and in turn their record label through their participation in the podcast. So we... 
work with that idea in place. That's the way mm. we see it. So if we were taken to task by um, rights organisations, then we would use that as our defence. And, and, and it does seem as if for, within that boundary that that is allowed. Mm. And it is an issue, I agree. And it's interesting. I mean, I find it frustrating as somebody in radio. I wish this issue were clarified. I've started a new show for Radio X called Exposure Daily. So Exposure mm. is the show that I do for Radio X. It's nearly into it. Well, it's in its 25th year in February. And we wanted to do something else, like an adjunct to it, an extra bit of exposure. Mm. So the show goes out Fridays and Saturdays at the moment for three hours each night. And Exposure Daily gets broadcast for one hour on the FM frequency for Radio X in Manchester mm. between two and three in the morning. Wow. And then it's available on Global Player. So the way we're promoting it is that it's on Global Player, which is our streaming uh, device. So then it's you know available whenever you want it. It's up there for seven days. Um, and it's a music show. You know, it's me and the music. So the idea of Exposure Daily is that it's the most exciting new tracks that I've just got my hands on. And it's at one hour and uh, kind of an intense workout. So it's kind of a vital part of your day. If you want some new music, you get your fix via Exposure Daily. But the workaround has been to put it out on FM in Manchester in order for it to exist because the grey area around music on podcasting means that we can do that then because we've paid PRS, we've paid PPL, we've we can you know we report all of it. That's not clear yet for podcasting, and so that it's a strange thing because we don't know whether to call Exposure Daily a radio show or a podcast because in a way it works as a podcast, but it's also a radio show. And this model is something that the BBC have been using for a while. Um, and it's a way that they use a lot of their, their track list and playlist sh- shows that they've got on BBC Sounds. A lot of those go out in the middle of the night on Six Music and other stations, you know, non-stop music, but they can put it in a podcast form because, um, because they've worked around it in that way. And it's, I can't understand why negotiations <laughs> aren't taking place and why they haven't been resolved between all the rights organisations and between all the labels because it's in everybody's interest. I mean, it would be... I mean, the world of podcasting exploded um, and it would explode even further if you could include full tracks properly mm. in a podcast. So what would you say to PRS or the music labels or the publisher, I'm sure many of whom are actually listening to this, what needs to happen to make using music on podcasts easier? Uh, uh, let us uh, talk to their artists, let us use their, their music. You know, <laughs> there are some labels that um, we haven't done interviews with their artists because uh, they want a separate agreement and it's quite costly and we can't afford it. Mm. Um, so um, we, we haven't been able to work that way. Because, and we kind of don't think... If, if the agreement were, were reasonable, then OK. But um, sometimes it seems too much for what we're doing. And... And, you know, obviously, the the rates of payment with streaming, etc., it's a, it's a massive discussion. And podcasting should be part of that discussion. And, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's quite interesting, you know, it, but quite revealing that it took a long time for the, the schemes that are in place for radio to come about. You know, and, I'm, you know, that were, th- those are probably hard-won battles that people went through to to get to that point and 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 that's one of the interesting things i mean you know 
and it's a positive uh, sorry this is a defensive radio but you know radio pays an awful lot of money in order to play music on the radio mm-hmm. um, and the artists get an awful lot of money out of those radio plays I'm not saying that Tape Notes wants to spend tons of money that we don't have <laughs> paying our artists loads of, of money but there should be something in place that can recompense them in, yeah. a, in a general way no mm-hmm. I mean obviously it's good promotion but you can't rely on that and it's 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 just really interesting and quite frustrating to think you know that with regard to streaming and with regard to podcasting it's so limiting for the podcast world that you know it, it is such a gray area thinking about some of the people who might be listening who perhaps have never interviewed people before or um, are still quite new to it and you know it might be kind of just starting out when you do a bad interview, it can really knock your confidence and it can be bad for any number of reasons. And it might just be mood on the day. It might be because you didn't press record. It might be, you know, for anything. So how do you pick yourself back up again after a bad interview? If you feel like you, you know, you can't, you walk away thinking your heart is sinking. It didn't go the way that you wanted. How do you bounce back? I guess you've got to be tough on yourself in some ways mm. you know you've got to say actually I did mess up there there was something I should have done and I should I can only get that right next time so so you don't necessarily need to beat yourself up too long but you need to put yourself back out there again and do it again and make sure you don't make that mistake again we've all maybe not everybody but I think actually everybody, everybody. has forgotten to press record you know sometimes i remember did, i did an interview with john cooper clark a few years ago and he was such oh. a charming interesting person to speak to we started the interview we're chatting away and then i realized i hadn't started to record and we we, we were talking for 10 minutes oh. you no know, and and he was so kind about it he yeah. was he he didn't bat an eye i mean that, that's because he was a really really nice guy <laughs> i felt like such an idiot and such a fool um and we've all kind of done it to a certain extent but um you're going to make mistakes and and sometimes you can analyze things and realize actually maybe it was their problem you know it, it's interesting with it, particularly with, Luckily, I haven't really had this so much in tape notes, but with radio, people are doing lots of interviews often. Often they're part mm. of a treadmill of interviews and they get tired and, and disinterested and mm. they're kind of almost worked too hard. So they might hit a point where you happen to be that interviewer um, who they're not feeling at all at that particular point. And no matter what you do, they're not going to open up. They're not going to say anything. And you know, I've had that a few times and sometimes... That might be because you're not working hard enough at trying to mm. bring them out of the shell. You're not charming them enough. But it can also be that that's just not your day with them. That's not just it's just not going to work out. And I'm sure maybe you've found that where you know you've interviewed people one time. It's like oh, they seem to be really hard work, and then yes. another time they're they're, they're really like the best, not hard. Yeah, best yeah. friend. Yeah. Exactly, James and it McAvoy could be even I had that with right. actually, <laughs> and it was just environment I think is more than anything like you were saying about going to somebody's space you know we did one interview in a junket which was awful five minutes barely you know like getting blood out of a stone and the next time was actually in a studio in Radio 1 we had 20 minutes and it was 
he'd just had a whiskey. Like he was, you know, it just, it's those little... <laughs> Massively. And this is where Take Notes has an advantage in that yes. we're doing something about something that they absolutely love. This is their life's work that mm. they're talking about. And it's their latest life's work usually. So that's the one that they're most excited about at yeah. that point. So to capture people then is the ideal. And to do it with the the, the freedom that we have is the ideal as well. I mean, I know from talking to pop people for five minutes, you get your window and, and you know, that's impossible, really. But yeah. this is the opposite of that. This is, and that's one of the reasons why they come on. Um, and that that's why it works. And that's why it, you know, it's a, it's a fantastic opportunity for us and hopefully for them as well. Um, but, you know, it's interesting for, for new people to it. Um, you just got to keep at it because the, the more you try the better you'll get. I'm loath to go down the line of, of having specific questions, but if it helps you, mm. do it. And if it helps you get in the right frame of mind, if it helps you understand what you're trying to get to, then that's useful. I, I do write out questions, but I don't stick to asking those specific questions. Yes. Mm. Sometimes when I'm trying to work out, you know, what is it that I'm trying to get out or what I want to get out of this, you know, th then it's useful to write it down beforehand because then when you are in the interview itself then you'll be able to you know draw on that but be, being stuck or beholden to what's on the page that can trip yourself up but i keep just keep at it you know and you know is there a right way or a wrong way to interview somebody well i suppose i mean people could say there are wrong ways don't be aggressive don't be rude mm. no don't no why would you, <laughs> you basic wouldn't. manners yeah yeah, is it, yeah have some manners <laughs> And I know sometimes, yeah, I mean, you could you can be on, not necessarily with take notes, but you, you know, doing radio interviews, you too can be on a treadmill. You could be at a festival. You're doing 50 mm. interviews at a festival in one day. And, you know, that's that's pretty hard How do you work. make that entertaining? You, you, yeah. Yeah. So your podcast is about the art of recording. So I think it's only fair that we turn the tables on you. Oh, no. Can you talk us through how you record the show, the nuts and bolts of it, as it were? Sure. Um, but I will put a proviso before this. So I'm the presenter <laughs> and the interviewer. So uh, the, Tim and Will are the overall producers of the podcast. They created the podcast with me. We have another Will, who is also one of the producers and editors. Uh, the two Wills generally produce and edit the programme. The recording setup is that we try and use the best microphones that we can get a hold of, uh, Neumann's or, you know, usually, um, and we control everything ourselves. We can't... We fallen foul of trusting somebody else's setup mm. and the record hasn't been as good as we wanted it to so um we bring in all the microphones we set it all up and we record in in different ways using different editing software um now we also film the interviews mm. too and then our it gets complicated with tape notes because we also ask the producer or the musician to bring in their own work and we want to record that as they're playing it out. Mm. Um, so they need to be able to, and we need to be able to connect to their laptop. It's usually a laptop. And they will play um, the stems of the recording from there, which we will record at the same time on the same device that we're recording the speech. Um, and so that you can marry them up well. Mm. Um, but sometimes we ask for a backup recording of, of the recordings that they've used uh, just in case we want to use anything again. So ideally, you want to record the whole thing 
Um, sometimes we get people to play things in again. Generally, it's all set up so that it's as live. So we're recording live and then it's edited down from there. So when people are sharing their music, you know, we all the bits you don't get to hear as the listener are the pauses where they're trying to find something on their computer. Like they, because they might say, ah, you know what? I recorded the first idea I had for that on my phone. Mm. Then you have to get it from their phone onto their computer so that they can play it out. Sometimes we might hold the phone in front of the microphone to, to hear that audio. But uh, so there, there are lots of bits where people are finding things mm. that don't make it into the podcast. I was listening to the episode you did with Yard Act a few weeks, months ago, and talking about the, the sort of early set of demos that they lost when the hard driver died. And I would imagine there's a fair amount of that going on behind the scenes of frantically hunting through kind of Google Drive folders and various yeah. things like that. Yeah, well, I mean, this is why preparation is the key, both for us and for the people participating. You know, mm. the, the more prepared they are, the better it will be for them because it will be less of a stress <laughs> on the day that we record. Um, and luckily, most people have got that now, and that's really good. Um, but as, you, as we were saying earlier, we record an awful lot. The, the records are long, um, but it allows time to, to find things and then the finished result sounds as if they have it at their fingertips um, and is much more listenable. Um, so sometimes, you know, might need a tea break while they try and find something on their hard drive that they, <laughs> they couldn't find initially. So after this many years, you must have some horror stories of your own from recordings that have gone sideways from a technical perspective. Tape notes, there have been a few. The worst one I know of was that we did this live recording with an audience in a brewery mm. um, and this was where we relied on their equipment a little bit um, and we were running part of the audio through their desk um, and they still had music running through the desk oh, no. um, and that destroyed the recording a little bit and also the room was full of these tanks which had a certain kind of atmosphere uh, tanks full of beer mm. um, and you know that that was slightly problematic too yeah. and also i mean there are some unknowns that are really hard like it's really hard i mean i know this uh, from my radio experience but it, it's really hard to get people to speak on mic that's mm. why I'm, I'm kind of concerned about your setup here it's novel <laughs> it's interesting and exciting but you know i like it right to have a microphone right in front of somebody's voice and and obviously when people are looking at equipment at the same time so i'm talking to you now like this and then i'm looking down at my laptop and suddenly there's a there's a difference in how it sounds and mm. i need to find that thing and, and people turning away from the mic and it's really hard to keep telling someone speak into the microphone because yeah. it, you <laughs> can be really rude and that's quite horrible um and that's that can be problematic you know it never Not fails to amaze me how many people who work with microphones don't know how to talk into a microphone I know, especially singers. Yes, <laughs> but like then you have one one job. Yeah, I know, I know. But there's different techniques to talking in an interview um, into a microphone and, and using a microphone when you're singing as well. It's a, it's an interesting thing, um, and also people's personalities are, are, are fascinating, aren't they? And and so you know when when they're casually talking in an interview. Um, they might not realise, but they move around an awful lot. Yeah. And so they're constantly turning away because they're kind of, that's them. That's how they are. Yeah. Um, and they maybe their hands over their mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, yeah, 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 yeah. That's terrible. All the things, all the things you have to contend with. Yeah, it's um, funny. It's funny, though. You obviously have had so much experience in audio generally. 
But has the podcast in particular sort of taken you in any direction that you weren't necessarily expecting to go to? It's allowed me to go deeper and without the parameters of radio or, you know, where, the, you know, some of the limitations of radio with it working for a particular station, you wouldn't get to speak to that person because of the station that you're working for. It wouldn't really fit in with that necessarily. Just the fact that you can be much more open-ended. I mean, obviously, that involves a lot of editing afterwards, but, you know, you really can go deep, and that is really nice. You know, you don't, when you're recording, you don't have to uh, think about the clock all the time, which is really nice. Mm. Definitely, and I think, well, from a slightly different perspective, but I, I really, really think that podcasting and the way that people listen to podcasts has changed the world of audio a lot. Um and the way that set studios are set up at radio stations. And, you know, often you'll have a certain setup and there'll be certain treatments on a microphone already um, that are just standard. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're standard to that particular company. Um, and now with podcasting, you get such a variety of people doing podcasts. They're using the microphone that is on their laptop. To, to host a radio show. Now, you would never have used that to host a radio show, you know, in the past because it would have, you'd have thought it would have sounded terrible. And it kind of does still sound terrible. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but people are used to it now and, and they, they, they're, 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 they're accepting of it. I think maybe we became too accepting of it during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and definitely once we'd come back out of that world, I think there was a spell where we were putting up with these uh, inferior audio standards. Yeah. And I think that now we're just coming out of that again and, and deciding that actually, no, it's better to have a good microphone. It's yeah. better yes. for it to sound good. Um, but having said that, I think it's been quite interesting it, it, to the point that within the company that I work for, Global, with Radio X, mm. they started changing their studios. So you'd have all these different studios there to record shows in or or do live broadcasting from but then they started to have an option whereby if you were recording a podcast you could record without the compression on the microphone and you could have a a different switch which used the microphone in a different way which Mm -hmm. i thought was really interesting and that was Mm -hmm. i think a response to podcasting because suddenly you'd find you'd record a voiceover using the normal microphone setup and you'd put it within your podcast world and it would sound to radio yeah. somehow yeah. and and it yeah. would lose some of that intimacy that you would get with the, the way that people are recording podcasts now and I, I thought that was really interesting mm. um, and so with, uh, with regard to your question Rihanna, you know, the wor- world of audio has changed because of podcasts yeah. that's something that I think is a, a period of adjustment for anyone whether on the presenter or producer side going from radio to podcasting with them going wait hold on sorry don't actually need to run it through like 17 layers of compression and limiting and you know all of this kind of stuff i can just pretty much just lightly master it and and put it out something to pick up with regard to tape notes that may be relevant is that Mm. i think whereas a lot of podcasts especially just talk podcasts are that there's little music and there's little um in a in a way production Mm. around them it's just stop start buy and it's quite simple in that way one of the i think appealing aspects of take notes is that will our producer puts an awful lot of time and effort into making it sound as good as possible which Mm. we felt was very important because we're talking to people about how they record things and the sound and the end result is so important um that we thought 
tape notes podcasts should sound as good as possible. And Will's background is in classical music editing. Mm. And so he brings that to the sound of the podcast. And I think Mm. that might be one of the reasons, one of the subliminal reasons why people enjoy tape notes is because it's so well edited in that way and so well produced in that way. And I think, I'd like to think that the artists themselves subliminally pick up on that and hopefully that helps um, the listener understand what's going on in in the worlds of music that we're talking about. Mm, Yeah, and I must say the soundscape of Tape Notes is fabulously put together. Yeah, and that's all down to to the wills, uh, the two wills involved, Mm. Chief Will and the... (laughs) That's Chief Will. So that was John Kennedy talking all about tape notes and gave us a lot of food for thought. I kind of listen, I've listened to the podcast, a few podcasts. Royal Blood uh, was one of the interviews and the depth of knowledge that either comes from the artist and John and that the audience is expected to bring, I find really fascinating because I didn't understand everything, but I also, I feel like the reward of learning from the podcast is so huge because it made me want to go and research all of these terms because I'm not musical I don't know I don't know what um a tremolo is for example um but I kind of love that we are patronized so often I think in the media that it was really refreshing for once to not be patronized and to for for them to expect us to bring a certain level of knowledge to the podcast I found that really great yeah, Tape Notes feels for me like a bit of a kindred spirit with PodPod in that they are kind of, you know, unashamedly niche in terms of their their focus. And it felt to me the way I imagine it feels for listeners to this podcast when we start talking about things like, you know, CPMs and backfilling and programmatic and mastering (laughs) and you know room tone and all of that kind of stuff i thought it was really great what he was saying about some of the interviews sometimes taking two three hours to record which i agree with him would probably be a nightmare for editors but i I thought it was great that he said after the second hour is really when the guest starts to uh, share more of the intimate details and Mm. and actually start to feel a lot more comfortable and it got me thinking about our podcast and sometimes you know we, we end up recording for an hour because we're all on a time limit but then sometimes it might be worth going a bit over just because you can cut out all of the you know unnecessary details in the story or ones that fans might already know and keep the really intimate bits I also mm-hmm. think other ways that you can achieve this is by having guests come in person because John did actually come to the studio and he got to speak to us a bit beforehand um, and just kind of break the ice and I thought that he felt very comfortable when he did start the interview and you could really see that in the way that he was speaking that's one of the real advantages of podcasting you know in that you can relax and take longer over an interview with podcasting versus kind of very limited radio slots but even within podcasting if you're seasonal you can take the time to have longer interviews that Mm. you can take longer to edit down whereas if you're on a weekly release schedule you you know you might not have that long to spend on an interview 
I think the whole idea of um, recording for two, three hours is is an interesting one because it is. I think it so depends, doesn't it, on the kind of person you are. If you, because I think a lot of people, especially in the creative industries, might flag after a certain amount of time and the energy starts to drop. Sometimes they might come in like raring to go and the first hour can be brilliant. And then it starts to get a bit like, you know, sort of lower, quieter, whatever. Um, I think it, yeah, I don't think there are any sort of hard and fast rules when it comes to interviewing because some people are brilliant at making like a 10 minute interview pop. You know, that's a real special well, I mean, skill. you're one of them. That's really kind. But I don't think that's true. <laughs> um, but I think that, you know, it's about uh, figuring out your strengths, right? And figuring out um, what kind of interview you are, you are and what you're, I think what you're able to bring to the table as an interviewer you know are you very good at putting someone at ease if you're not then you might have to work a little bit harder in other areas like the research and you know really putting across that you know what you're talking about without taking over an interview because I think that's the other danger and I think that's what John especially is very good at he can he can drop in these uh, nuggets of gold in his interviews without ever feeling like he's taking over the conversation. It's He's always letting the guest lead. And I think that if you listen to some interview podcasts, that's not always the case because the interviewer likes the sound of their own voice more than the sound of who they're talking to. Mm. Um, I think that's always like a crucial thing to, talk, to think about um, if you're doing an interview podcast, especially one that goes on for that long. Okay, thank you so much for listening and a massive thank you to John Kennedy for joining us. You can find out so much more on podpod.com, you know, sign up to our daily email bulletins and do rate and subscribe. A little five star would be so well received. The podcast is produced today by Matt Hill for Haymarket Business Media and I'm your host, Rihanna Dillon. Thanks once more to Adam and Reem and we'll all see you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.